Wow. We are so blessed here at the House of Prayer. We need to be thanking the Lord each and every day. Okay. I was at the sunrise service this morning. <laughs> it may as well be called that. But I'm going to tell you something. They had almost as many as you do. Uh, they are, uh, but I can see why Pastor Jerry says this is the good looking bunch. He says, this is the good looking ones, Jim, but uh, they need the harder preaching. <laughs> so, uh, listen, be praying for that uh, wonderful pastor of ours. I, I, I'm telling you, he, uh, he called me Wednesday night. I guess I'm his pinch hitter. And uh, I have the lower batting average, so uh, you're just going to have to deal with that. But... Um, he called me Wednesday night, or Wednesday, sometime it was Wednesday, and said, uh, can you help me out? Are you here? I said, well, I'm here. He says, are you here this weekend? Well, I was supposed to be another church uh, this morning. So I sent my son-in-law, and uh, so I could be here. Uh, Alex said he would take care of that for me, and then uh, I was to be here tonight, and Alex is coming back tonight. So I encourage you to come out and listen to uh, Alex, a uh, good preacher, loves the Lord, uh, you know, working with the youth, uh, upwards, uh, overseeing Haiti, just has his hands in a lot of different things. Uh, he spoke at the missions conference on Faith Promise and did a wonderful job. And so I would encourage you to uh, get a chance, uh, come out this evening and hear what the Lord has for you. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, it really is. Uh, last weekend, I was up in Michigan. Don't hold that against me. But uh, it was in Ann Arbor. Uh, they had a, um, I was there for the whole weekend. We had what they call a, a, game, uh, a game feast uh, on Friday night. I had to speak at, I guess, uh, Hunters. We had uh, 12 different kinds of uh, animal from buffalo all the way down to squirrel. And uh, they had different plates, and then you judge the plates and everything, and uh, it, was, it was really something. Uh, I enjoyed that thoroughly, and then uh, was there for Easter, spoke on Easter. And uh, my message was, beyond the cross, there is hope beyond the cross. And you know, our hope is in Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross because he saw us there. And uh, he went there for us, and, and we serve a risen Lord. Uh, you know, there's, there's nothing greater than to be able to serve God each and every day. This world around us is, is falling apart, but, you know, one thing never changes, and that's Jesus. And he's still on the throne, and I, and I thank the Lord uh, this morning that uh, we serve a God that's still on the throne Maybe you can uh, identify with this uh, illustration this morning. A little boy, he was overheard talking to himself as he strutted back uh, through his backyard wearing his baseball cap and toting a ball and bat. It kind of reminded me of Aiden. We're raising our grandson, Aiden. He's four and a half. And uh, this is something that uh, I can see him doing. He says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world, he announced. Then he tossed the ball into the air, swung at it, and missed. Strike one, he yelled. <laughs> Undaunted, he picked up the ball again and said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. He tossed the ball up in the air. When it came down, he swung at it, 
Strike two, he cried. Well, the boy then paused a moment to examine the bat. You know, it's always the bat's fault. There's got to be something wrong with the bat. Well, that checked out, so he checked the ball. And uh, carefully checked the ball. Then uh, he spit on his hand, rubbed them together, straightened out his cap, said once more, I'm the greatest hitter in all the world. Again, he tossed the ball in the air. He swung at it. He missed. Strike three, he said. You know, instead of falling into despair with all the hope of a child, he said, wow, I'm the greatest pitcher in all the world. You know, only a child and the hope that uh, children have. Uh, you know, our hope is in Jesus. And uh, we, we rest our hope secure in him. This morning we had a wonderful uh, uh, meeting uh, uh, service this morning, the early service, uh, where we uh, sent off our, our missions team. Wow. You know, that's, that's exciting. And, and as was already said, that it's an extension of the church. It's a ministry of the church. We are holding the ropes for that team in prayer. And I, I challenge you this week to hold the ropes for them each and every day. That every situation they find themselves in, they take the name of Jesus with them. We need to pray for their protection we need to pray for, for health. We need to pray that, that, that God would give them the open doors for ministry and that he would bring them back on fire for the Lord. And, uh, you know, I've, of, I've often said that Haiti, you can take Haiti and put it anywhere in Africa and it fits. It is. It's just a small, it's a small Africa. And uh, they have a, an opportunity and so I encourage you to be uh, keeping them before the Lord this week. Be praying for them. also encourage you to be praying for the pastor. He did come for just a short period this morning. At the very end, uh, he, he's walking. So uh, he, he, he's alive. <laughs> and uh, we thank the Lord for that. Just keep uh, him in your prayers. This morning, um, I, I want to preface uh, this morning with the question, what is Jesus worth to you. What is Jesus worth to you? You know, we, we, we hear a lot of different uh, cliches, sayings, uh, 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 as far as, as Christians are concerned, what would Jesus do, uh, different things that, that come out. But my question to you is, what is Jesus worth to you? And you know, we're very flippant oftentimes about the answer to that. We say, well, he's worth everything. Is he? Is he? Think about what you would not be willing to give up. What is most near and dear to you? Is Jesus worth more than that to you? Is he? We live in a, in a world today, we live in a country today where value is placed on everything. Really, it's placed on just about everything we do. Your homes are valued. Your vehicles are valued. Your jobs have value. Just about every aspect of life, there is some kind of value that is placed on it. 
Are we not? We, we've become a, a materialistic world. In fact, I saw, I do a lot of traveling and I saw a bumper sticker the other day that, that says, uh, 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 he, he who has the most toys when he dies wins. I thought, okay, really? But that's where our society is today. That's where the world is today. And so my question to you this morning is, is what value then would you place on your relationship with Jesus? And where would it be ranked in terms of your everyday life? You say, well, Jesus is everything to me. He means everything to me. Well, prove it to yourself. And the way you can prove it is think through the course of the week. And what do you spend the most time doing? Because whatever you spend the most time doing, that's your God. That's your idol. And my question to you is, do we spend the majority of our time in the word of God? Do we spend the majority of our time praying? Or do we spend the majority of our time doing things that really, in the long run, and the scheme of things, don't amount to anything? We have become a society, and a society of Christians, where we've done nothing more than comfortableize Jesus. We make him comfortable to our situations. We make him comfortable. Instead of us conforming ourselves to his desire, to his will, to his ministry, and to his passion, we fit him into ours. We fit him into our lifestyle. We carry on our own lifestyle and we fit Jesus in. Do we not? We do. And it's the same way at home. And one of the things that, as we look around about us, we see that our young people today, they've, they're not the prayer warriors that we would love to see. Uh, our, our, our young people, uh, our, our whole country has gotten away from being a praying people. And it's because this younger generation we're bringing up is not a praying generation. It's not a God-fearing generation. It's not a Bible-reading generation. Why? Because the value on the relationship with God is not there. And listen, folks, we need to get back to being a praying people. We need to get back to being a a Bible-believing people. We live in a world today of of just over 7 billion people, and a third claim to be born-again Christians. Now... (laughs) If you got down to the truth of that, you would find it's much smaller than that. But I mean, you know, it, it's interesting. We call ourselves a Christian nation, and you can, you can walk the streets and say, are you a Christian? Uh, probably two-thirds of the people in this country will tell you, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. But they can't tell you why. They just, they just uh, lump themselves into that. We live in a world where three people die every second, 180 every minute, 10,000 every hour. 240,000 people die off the face of this earth every day. And does it concern us? When was the last time you were concerned about it? I, you know, I, I was talking with my wife, Denise, and, and please be praying for her. I mean, I, I'm, I've been playing Mr. Mom for about a month now. And I think she's getting tired of that. And uh, yesterday really was the best day that she's had in a long while. And they finally getting her, her meds down. 
uh, taken care of. They took her off blood pressure, took her off one, put her on another, forgot to wean her off the one, and she's been having migraine. It's just been a, it's been a nightmare. And yesterday was first day without migraines. And she says, Jim, I think I'm, I'm pretty much tired of your cooking and doing whatever. I said, well, good, because I am too. And uh, anyway, uh, just, uh, just be praying for her. But you see, we, we, we live in a world today that is falling apart in every way, shape, or form. We live in a world today where people are, are just passing off into an endless eternity. And, and, and does it really concern us? Do you realize that 65% of children, 65% of children in North America have never darkened the doorstep of a church? 65%. And I, I look at that statistic and I said, how, how, how can that be? How in the world can that be? If that is true, and that st- statistic is true, then, then what about the other continents around the world? What about Africa? What about the, the, the Middle East? What, what about other countries? How much less those children become that ever darken the doorstep of a church? There are still some 24,000 people groups with no written word in their language. And others, of those 24,000 people groups, there are still, listen to me, there are still over 6,000 people groups that still don't have a clear presentation of the gospel in their language. Where is our urgency today? But you know, we act like there's no urgency. We go on living life as long as it doesn't affect us. Denise and I got into the conversation the other day and I, and I said, Denise, I said, I don't understand it. I said, it seemed like for years we would go through life and, and, and people would pass off the faces off this earth. And, she, and I said, we didn't know who they were. I said, but nowadays it seems like more and more and more people that we know are, 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 are passing off. And I, and I said, they're people we know. They're close to us and, and family members. And I said, I don't understand. <laughs> and she looked at me and she says, she said, uh, I, mean, I looked at her, she says, it's because you're getting older, Jim. <laughs> and I looked at her and I had to smile. But the reality, that is the reality of it all. And this morning I want us to take a few minutes and, and I want us to look together as to how can we change these trends. And I believe there's, there's three things that can help us to change this trend and to change our, our mindset. And the first thing is this, we need to surrender ourselves totally to God. We need to surrender ourselves to his will. Not, not ours, but to his will. In John chapter Four, verse 34 through 36, it reads, Jesus said unto them, <clears throat> my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth 
And he that reapeth may rejoice together. My question to you this morning is, how has your rejoicing been as a result of your sowing when it comes to what is important to God? Listen, folks. If we have surrendered ourselves to God and we have surrendered ourselves to his will, then his passion becomes our passion. And what do we get passionate about? What what do we really get passionate about? We heard this morning that that the uh, camp in Rome is, is already 400 and some people. Wow! That's exciting. That's what we need to get passionate about. That's what we need to be, be, be getting excited about. I spent a lot of time traveling in, the country, in, in, in this country as well as uh, spend time traveling overseas. My, my wife and I oversee uh, a thousand orphans and orphanages in 12 different countries. And uh, so... so I'm usually not here. This has been a bonus. And I enjoy, I mean, even when you're gone on Easter Sunday, who's gone on Easter Sunday? But, but it's the way the, the, the schedule is. And one of the, one of the ministries that I have is traveling with national pastors. We usually have them in the fall. We usually have them in also the spring. And I travel around anywhere from six to eight weeks the fall, six to eight weeks in the spring with national pastors here in the States. Most of the time, they can't speak English, so have to do the translating for them. But our reason for bringing them and inviting them to this country is, is so that they can bring an awareness to our churches and to our people what God is doing around the world. Some of these pastors come from countries we, we, have, we don't even know. Now, House of Prayer knows many of the countries because they've been here so regularly. In fact, House of Prayer puts them up most of the time that they're here. And it's a big benefit to me. But Robert Lumpel, uh, some of you know who Robert is. Robert's been here a few different times. And, and uh, he's working in the country of Burkina Faso. And he's working in an in a area of ministry where 80% of the people are Muslim. And God had called him to move out of the city there and, and to work among this village of between five and 10,000 people, 80% of them Muslim, and to start a ministry there because... Uh, 80 to 90% of the kids in that area were, un, were unschooled. They had no education. And Robert says, so what I did is I went in and I approached the chief in that area. And I told the chief, I introduced myself to him and told him what I was planning on doing and who I was. And the chief looked at him and says, you know, in all the years that I have been chief in this area, you're the first pastor that has ever come and talked to me. You're the first pastor. And he told Robert, he says, listen, you go ahead, you do whatever you feel that your God has asked you to do. But remember this, he says, I'm Muslim. And and, and just remember that. And Robert looked at him and says, I'll respect you for that. And I respect you. And uh, he said, and, and we started into our ministry. He said, we started targeting children. He says, after two or three months, we were having 250 children come to our Bible clubs weekly. 250 children. Listen, 80, 80% or more of those kids were Muslim children. 
He said, well, what, a, what a door opener for us. He said, I was able to spend the weeks and go and visit these children in their homes. Sit down in their homes and talk to them about the word of God. He said, the mothers would come around, sit around. They would listen and they would hear the word of God. And he said, we started targeting the children. He said, then I would have mothers come to me and say, why, why is it so important you share this with our children? What about us? We want to know. And they, in that period of two to three years now, they have over a hundred adults that they've led to the Lord through that ministry and hundreds of children involved in their ministry. And he said, he said, we went ahead and did a Christmas program. And he said, the Christmas program, we decided to go and do it in the chief's courtyard. And he said, we took almost 300 kids into his courtyard there. And we sat them down and we went ahead and, and, and we read the, the, uh, the Christmas story. He said, uh, they, they shared uh, memori- Bible memorization that they'd done. We sang Christmas songs and we even acted out part of it. We did all this in front of the chief. And he said, the chief sat there and he watched the whole thing and tears were just streaming down his face. And he said, I I had no idea, Robert. He says, I had no idea this is what you were doing with our kids. And he looked at Robert and he says, next year, he says, I'm bringing my whole entourage, all my elders. And he says, we're coming to your church for your Christmas program. Well, next year was this last year. And so I got a hold of Robert and I said, well, Robert, I said, how did it go? I said, the chief showed up. I said, did you remind the chief what he said? He said, no, I didn't remind him. He said, he told me he was going to come. So I let it be at that. He said, we started in our program. And he says, you know who happens to walk in with his whole entourage? It was the chief. Listen, folks. Surrendering to God's will, surrendering to his passion. Wow, what a difference. And Robert says, we're, 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 seeing, we're just seeing an explosion happen as a result. Secondly, not only are we to be surrendered to his will, but secondly, we need to be surrendered to the work that he set before us. In John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, it says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Listen, folks, and listen carefully. That day is coming when our work on earth is done. And around the world, the gospel is being shut out of countries. It is being closed to the outside influences of the gospel into their countries. The only way, the only way the gospel will continue on in those countries is through their own people. In your bulletin this morning, how many of you read the bulletin? Okay, I would say with that, keep up the bulletin. Seems to work. No, I'm just teasing you. But in the bulletin, I was reading through the bulletin, and and it talks about us being the salt of the earth. You know, if we lose our saltiness, we've lost our ministry. We've lost the, 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 the opportunity to minister. The salt, it, once salt gets water on it and, and, and drenches water and it dries out, it's not worth anything anymore. It's lost its effectiveness. 
And the sad thing, folks, is that, that many Christians today have lost their effectiveness of ministry because they're not centered in God's perfect will. We go back to this whole idea of just trying to comfortableize Jesus into our lives. And when we need him, we call on him. Otherwise, life is good. Surrendering to God's work. I, back in September, every end of August, September, we, when we have our national pastors come to America, we have a mission training uh, uh, seminar last a week up in Rochester, New York. And I go up there for that week and help teach that. And this last year, the director of the mission said, Jim, he said, I, I, I want you to, to teach a session on balancing the, the, uh, the pastor and the missionary with his family. How do you balance family and ministry? And I said, really, Gary? I said, you want me to do that one? I said, I'm on the road 90% of the time. I said, I balance my time just trying to stay awake in the car. And he smiled at me. He says, no. He says, Jim, you've been doing this for 27 years uh, with IGM. He said, I want you to do this. And I sat down with these men and I looked at them and I thought, wow, I, I, I know the African mentality. Most of them were from Africa. And, and, and I know what their mentality is of family and that. It's a little bit, perception is different than ours. And so you've got that to deal with, the whole culture idea. And I sat down with them and I said to them, I said, answer me a question. How is ministry and family working for you? And the one pastor was from Liberia. His name was Pastor Moses. Godly man, loved the Lord. He looked at me and immediately put his head down and he says, my wife is very vexed at me. I said, she is. I said, vexed. I thought that's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) Remember that, ladies, next time. I'm just vexed at you. There's a whole lot more I can add to that, but we'll leave it at vexed. And he says, my wife is very vexed at me. And I said, well, explain. He says, well, you know, in Liberia, we run a school of 400 kids from first grade all the way through 12th. He says, I'm the administrator of that school. He says, my time is wrapped up in that. He says, I teach in that. I administrate that. He said, then we have a church. And he says, I'm the pastor of that church. And I have the responsibilities of the church. He said, I leave before my family gets up in the morning. He said, I don't get home till six o'clock in the evening. He said, I eat dinner. Then I have to go off and teach uh, uh, two, uh, two uh, sessions of school. And he says, I don't get back till about 10 o'clock at night. By that time, my family's in bed. He said, that's why my wife is vexed at me. And and he says, she finally came to the point where she said, you know what? She says, Moses, I would rather, I would rather you, you have no, we have no money. No money comes in and I have you home. than we never see you. Says our kids are, are being raised and, 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 and you're not there. I said, so what did you do? He said, well, then she got her wish. I said, what happened? He said, Ebola hit. 
He said Ebola hit our country and it turned it upside down. He said we started losing people by the hundreds. He said everything shut down. He says our family shut down, our schools shut down, everything shut down. He says when she woke up in the morning, I was there. He says when she went to bed at night, I was there. He said after a week, she asked me, don't you have something you can go do? (laughs) And he says none of us could go anywhere. We were petrified to go anywhere. He says the only place people would go to was church. He says our Wednesday services went from 20 to 30 to 100, 150. He said our Sunday mornings went from 200 people to to 400, to 500, to 600. It just took off. He said our country got godly. They were getting right with God. I says, well, we can kind of understand that. 9-11, I said, all of a sudden, we got a little bit spiritual in our country too. I said, it didn't last long. And then we start living like the devil again. He said, well, everything was going swimmingly. He said, for a whole year and a half, he said, my wife had me. He said, then Ebola, we pretty well were able to eradicate it and overcome it. And she looked at me and she said, You're doing what God wants you to do. You need to go do what he wants you to do. And he said the sad thing about that whole scenario is, he says our churches are back to 30 and 40 people on Wednesday evenings and back to 100, 200 people on Sunday mornings. And the rest of the country living like the devil. Surrendered. To God's work. We surrender to him. And lastly this morning. Not only are we to be. Surrendered to his will. Surrender to his work. But lastly we're to be surrendered to go where. He would have us go. And Matthew. Chapter 28 verses 19 20. It says. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. And of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even on to the end of the world. Amen? Wow. You know, you look at that first word of verse 19. What does it say? It says, go. It says, go. It doesn't say, Jim, go if you feel like going. Uh, Jim, if you got time today, I want you to go. It says to go. It's a command. Listen, folks, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Where are we to go? When we walk out these doors, that's our mission field. This is our mission field. When was the, ask yourself, when was the last time that we, we shared a clear presentation of the gospel with somebody? With anybody? 
Ask yourself, what kind of a testimony <clears throat> am I leaving for my children? Better yet, ask the children what kind of a testimony their parents are. Better yet, if you want to know what kind of testimony the man is, just ask his wife. Right? Surrendered. To go where he would have us go. I close with this. My wife and I served in Ivory Coast for a number of years. And in growing up in Ivory Coast, we had a fellow there that, even when I was a child growing up there, worked with my folks. and, And he was a builder. And anytime we needed a church built in that, he did all the block work. His name was Luco. Luco loved the Lord. He, he, he loved the word of God. He, he could match any pastor. He, he'd take any pastor on and can go toe-to-toe. And he was nothing more than a brick mason. He knew the Bible. And he called me one day and he said, Jim, he says, what do you do when you can no longer do what God has called you to do? And I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, I've been a brick mason all my life. He says, I can't lift that block anymore. It's too heavy. I'm, I'm up in my years. He says, what do I do with my life now? Is my life over? And I said, no. I said, pray and ask the Lord. You know, listen, there are some of us here this morning that will say, we've been put out to pasture. They no longer need us in the church anymore. They've replaced me with somebody. They've put me out to pasture. Listen, folks, if you're here this morning and you feel like you've been put out to pasture, it's only because you put yourself there. Because the Bible tells us that the, that the, the, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are what? Are few. And he's looking for laborers. And the reason the laborers are few, first of all, is we're not praying them up. And secondly, we're praying that God will send Joe over here. Yeah, just get him out of here. We don't need him here. Send him over there. And we're sending everybody everywhere. But what about you? We're so busy praying that God will send other people, we forget about us. And Luco says, I did. I prayed. I says, and what happened? He says, God gave me an idea. I said, what was your idea? He says, well, you, we live in a very large village. I said, yes, you do. And he said that God gave me an idea. He said, one morning I got up and I put a, took an old tire, tire rim and I hung it up in a mango tree. And he said, I took a tire iron out there and at six o'clock in the morning, I started beating on that thing. You know what happens when you do that? He says, the whole village gets up. They all want to know what's going on. And he says, I had chairs in that. And I told him, come, come, you got to listen. And he said, I sat him down there. And he said, I started preaching to him. And I said, how'd that work for you? He said, well, half of them left, grumbling all the way back to their huts. And he said, the rest of them stayed. They wanted to hear what this nut was all about. He says, you know what happened? He said, they came back the next day. And they came back the next day. And they come back. And he says, we have a little group. And he says, we're meeting out under the mango trees. The rains are coming. And we need, a, we need a pavilion. He says, can you help us raise some funds for a pavilion? 
And I said, sure, Luke. Oh, I said, we'll, <clears throat> we'll pray and we'll see what we can come up with. And, and about two weeks later, some churches sent some money. I said, listen, I think we got enough funds to help you. He said, I want you to come down on Sunday. I want you to preach to my group. I said, all right. I went down there to preach to his group. You know what I found out? I found out that his small group was over 900 people. 900 people. (laughs) I said to him, I said, well, Luco. I said, you said it was a small group. I said, you said a pavilion. I said, not a mega church. I said, "You, you just told me. He says, God hasn't even started yet. He has a church there today that seats over 2,500 people and they've gone to two services. And he's nothing more, he said, than a brick mason. But that had surrendered himself to God's will. So the question this morning is, what can God do with you? He can't do anything with you or with me if we don't allow him to. But if we open that door, we can't even begin to know what God can accomplish through us. Every head bow, every eye closed this morning. I I, I wonder, first of all, as we close this morning, if... Maybe there isn't someone here this morning that say, Brother Jim, I, 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 I don't even know that I'm saved. But I want you to pray for me. I wonder if there's, no one's looking around. If there's maybe one or two of you this morning or a few of you this morning that would raise your hands and say, would you please pray for me? Anybody? Amen. Amen. And those of you who raise your hand, I, I would beg you that you would seek out one of the pastors of the church, Pastor Darrell, myself, Pastor Bill, one of the deacons. Surrender yourself to God today. Listen, folks, we're not guaranteed Tomorrow, we're not even guaranteed this evening. But what about the rest of us? Are there some here that would say, you know what? I do love the Lord, but but I have failed. And there's so much more that I can do. And there's so much more that I should be doing. Would you just slip up your hand and say, hey, pray for me. That God would show me what more I can be doing. Amen. Amen. Hands everywhere. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have to serve you. The privilege we have in this country to come openly and serve you. The freedoms that we have, Lord, to to go door to door and and to visit our neighbors and to visit those around us and to share Christ wherever we go. I pray your Holy Spirit would give us the courage. 
Give us the wisdom. May we put our priorities in order. Lord, that your passion would become our passion. And that we would surrender totally to you. Closing, we pray for our missions team. We ask that all their connections run smoothly. Their flights run smoothly. Lord, that you would take care of every need they have. Keep them all healthy. Keep them positive. And Father, use them. Not only to light the fire in their lives, but as they come back to excite your church. We pray for Pastor Jerry too. Lord, we thank you for this man that has given so many years to the leading and directing of your people, your church. Father, bring healing to his body, complete healing. Restore him back to health, Lord, that he may be able to continue on with the challenges that you give him each and every day. We'll give you the praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen.